I request Dr. Swadesh Singh to switch on his video. Uh, hello, Namaste Swadesh uh, Ji. Namaskar. Uh, namaskar. I'd like to just uh, say a few words about uh, uh, Dr. Swadesh Singh. So before that, I'd like to mention the two books uh, now, uh, which will be discussed in this session. Um, the first book is Rama and Ayodhya, uh, published by Aryan Books International in 2013. And the second book is uh, The Battle for Rama, The Case of the Temple at Ayodhya, published by Aryan Books International in 2017. Uh, a few words about Dr. Swadesh uh, Singh. So he is an assistant professor of political science in Delhi University. He runs a forum named uh, Academics for Nation, which works among academicians. He also ran a successful campaign named um, Academics for Namo during the election time in March, April, May in 2019. And more than 2000 academicians and scholars joined from 50 different cities. Uh, he holds a PhD from JNU and a PG diploma in mass communications from Indian Institute of uh, Mass Communication, New Delhi. He has also worked with news, or news uh, organizations like BBC Hindi and NDTV India from 2006 to 2009. He has written an e-book um, on electoral, re uh, electoral reforms, uh, assuring a just political regime. Um, and he has also edited uh, two books. Uh, the first one is New Dalit Agenda for 21st Century. And the second one is Cultural Nationalism, uh, the Indian Perspective. Uh, he regularly contributes articles to journals and media platforms online and offline. His core uh, areas of interest are social justice, caste, Hindutva, media, and political parties. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Swadesh ji. I now request you to uh, start your session. I think we have about 30 minutes uh, because we're running short of time. Um, I request you to keep yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Srinivasji, Indic Academy, and Minakshiji for giving me this opportunity. And let me start our discussion by uh, an editorial uh, by none other than Girilal Janji. He wrote in 1990 that a new order is waiting to be conceived and born. It needs a mother as well as a midwife. So when we are holding this discussion, just last week, Bhum Pujan was performed in Ayodhya and a full circle is complete. And let me take the liberty, ma'am, that you have contributed a lot by writing these two books, which we are going to discuss from this platform. So thank you very much, ma'am, uh, for giving me opportunity and thank you, Indic Academy. So let me start our discussion that, uh, means you are from, uh, you, you taught history for a long time in Gargi College, as uh, Srinivasji mentioned in your discussion. So how you reached there, means what inspired to do research on Ayodhya temple movement, Ramjan, Ramjan Bhumi movement? Actually, it was just a sheer accident. You know, uh, when the movement started, like millions of Indians, I connected with the issue emotionally. I did not know the details and the intricacies of the case. This I became aware of by accident. You see, after the Allahabad High Court gave its judgment in 2010, I got a pamphlet, a 90-page pamphlet, written by the Aligarh Historians Forum by Professor Irfan Habib. And that pamphlet was a total criticism of the Allahabad High Court. And it reassured the readers that this judgment is so faulty 
it has to be overruled in the Supreme Court. And it also wrote in a very unpleasant and unprofessional and nasty manner about the excavations done by the ASI, the Archaeological Survey of India. When I read this pamphlet, I was alarmed and actually got provoked and frightened into reading the 5,000-page judgment of Dr. Sudhir Agarwal, Justice Sudhir Agarwal. If I had not read this pamphlet by Professor Irfan Habib, I don't think I would have actually gone to study this phenomena. I would have emotionally supported it, as did millions. But this pamphlet, uh, it was so frightening that I read the full judgment. When I read the full judgment, then it opened my eyes to the dishonest, unprofessional, unethical conduct of left historians in the entire debate. And then I began to study the writings of each of these historians. And I also studied the importance of Ram and Ramayan in the Indian civilization. So it was an accident that this pamphlet I read and I studied this. But I learned so much from this study that uh, it has really changed me a lot. Not only you learned, ma'am, but we also learned an entire generation of young scholar is learning about a new way to understand academics and research. So, Miss, as far as facts and evidences are concerned, this research is rock solid. I have reviewed these books. I have read these books many times. So, but my question is that because in, in academic scenario where you were working and you were collecting evidence, the scenario was not condu conducive enough for you, the kind of research you were doing. So how you dealt with that? What kind of problems, hurdles you faced while doing your research? You see, uh, I've been a loner in all my research because uh, somehow I take up topics which are not popular among the mainstream academia. So whether it is, this was particularly unacceptable to them and even subsequent works like Sati and Flight of Deities. Now, uh, the thing is that I would go to the library and do my work and come away. I have, I didn't have any much of an interaction with these people, but I have to say that at a personal level, uh, they were always very courteous and very polite. But it is not a question of personal correctness or politeness. The issues were much bigger for them and for me. See, for them, it was important to deny the centrality of Ram and Ramayan in the Indian civilization. So it was not something personal that if they are nice to me and I'm nice to them, that doesn't solve the problem. And for me, it was to help the forces that were working to replace Ram and to reposition him in the place that was rightly his. So it was a battle between two opposing ideologies. I had hardly anyone on my side, whereas they had all the big names. They had positions, they had power, and uh, I uh, was alone. That I did not mind much because when you do research, it's a process of being isolated from others. 
So research itself is an isolating process that did not bother me. The things that really hurt me were the difficulties in getting the book published, which was really terrible and really heartbreaking. And once it was published, to find reviewers. You are one of the few people who reviewed my books, but none of my books has till today been reviewed in a mainstream national daily or a mainstream academic journal. Let, let so, then, uh, so how do you, how do people come to know how if I have written a book, if it is not reviewed anywhere, then how do I reach my audience? And so it is uh, some brave people like you, Abhinav, who took steps in that direction. And after that, I have to say the role of social media. I realized the role of social media only in this process, that you don't have to go through this same old route. You can find new routes. And social media has been a very, very empowering tool for me. I did not understand its importance till I confronted this situation. So ma'am, here lies the real question that how an academic inquiry converts into a political issue, uh, how yes. a research issue converts into a, polit a political issue, why the hi historical collectives come up with a pamphlet and till 1980, it was very much established that there were evidences of Ram Temple, but yes. how it took place because you also mentioned all these in one chapter of your book. So <laughs> how this happened? See, because they were having a political objective. Their objective was not academic. And in fact, I'll mention one historian. Before this controversy broke out, she wrote a book on the origins of Vaishnavism, in which she said that, you know, she dated Ram worship to ancient times. But when this same historian was asked to appear before the Allahabad High Court, she said that Ram worship is an 18th, 19th century phenomenon. So obviously it was not an academic exercise for them because before you get into the movement, you're saying it's an ancient phenomena. And when you appear before the court, you're saying 18-19. So for them, the objective from the beginning was political. All their work on Ayodhya had one objective in mind, and that was their hostility to the indigenous culture and civilization of this subcontinent. The problem with the other side, with the Mandir party, was that they had the support of lakhs and lakhs of people. But they did not have as much intellectual output as would have been helpful to them. So the entire media space was occupied by left historians with all their biases, with all their prejudices, with all their weaknesses, they dominated the print media. And the other side had the support of millions, but did not have any space in media, publishing, books. How many books have been published on the Ayodhya movement from an Indian perspective? Hardly half a dozen, I think. So, ma'am, uh, 
if you can elaborate on that um, means you also mentioned in your book that many historians the eminent historian they submitted wrong affidavit in yes. court and the, you also mentioned and i let me uh, let me take the liberty and say that this was the biggest academic fopa after independence if we talk about ram temple movement so means if me let, let me take the names means irfan abib suraj bhan mandal so uh, shri bhatnagar so all these historians they submitted wrong affidavit even there was a, a historian who has not visited even as one time to that site so what kind of affidavit and what were the issues what were they really archaeologists and uh, what they talking about uh, in the court see uh, their bio data you can find in the alabad high court judge judgment of sudhir agarwal the bio data is not flattering at all uh, as far as professor irfan habib arish sharma romila thapar and dn jha are concerned they had a agreement that they themselves will not subject themselves to court scrutiny so they never appeared before the court they only marshaled the attack from outside means that they would write articles they would give interviews they would write pamphlets so the battle was being coordinated by them from outside and their foot soldiers were the ones who were appearing in court and if you look at the credentials of these foot soldiers it is laughable one archaeologist said i am a table archaeologist he has actually never done any field archaeology so he is admitting in court another person said i can't read persian i can't read arabic i can't read sanskrit i have not read any i have not read the babar nama so there and the alabad high court was very harsh in its assessment of them they said you are misleading the court wasting the time you are supposed to help us assist us but you are trying to frustrate us and since you mentioned names i would like to mention one name d mandal d mandal wrote a book in which and all these historians and archaeologists were very clear that babri masjid is built on vacant land and they said this in numerous pamphlets hundreds of articles but when the alabad high court felt that it was a deadlock and they were not able to make a breakthrough then they ordered the archaeological survey of india to excavate at that site and the court was very clear that this is a very emotional issue and it's a very you know it can create a lot of fissures so they laid down very strict rules under which excavations will be carried out they said that the number of workers have to be equally representative of both the parties and the excavations every day will be carried out only in the presence of representatives from both the parties and every day's findings will be registered in a register which will be signed by both parties so under strict such strict monitoring the excavations were done now when the excavations were done and what was coming out the masjid party realized that you know these are kalash amlak these are from hindu temple so they at once changed their strategy and they told the court that there is a muslim structure beneath the babri masjid so babri masjid was built on a muslim structure that means masjid was built on an eedga now the court said till now you have said it was built on vacant land you have not till now even once argued that it was built on a eedga 
now the excavations have started and you are doing this. And when you wrote your book, what did you write in that book? Did you write that it was built on an Eidka? Now you're changing your stand. So this, uh, their role has been absolutely so unprofessional, so biased, so bigoted in an anti-Indian civilization direction. It is, what is surprising is that, uh, you know, everyone can have their political views, but political views at the cost of uh, distorting the debate, debasing the debate. And when no court in the country has accepted any of your arguments, then don't you think you owe an apology or at least an explanation that why did we do this? And do you still stand by your stand that Babri Masjid was built on vacant land? I would like to ask them this. Do they still argue that Babri Masjid was built on vacant land? Yes, ma'am. As you mentioned in book that Irfan Habib with, uh, in just one day with a group of historians uh, yes. came up with conclusion that that, that Masjid was built on Eidgah. And, yes. and his argument was uh, submitted by Sunni Waqf Board in yes. the court. Yes. And uh, court, court itself was surprised that from where you, these data and researches are coming. So yes. this, this was Irfan Habib. And let me ask you here that why our historian, the eminent historian, have poor sense of history. The Itihas board is so weak. Means, as you mentioned in your book, that Romila Thapas censored the projection of Ramcharit Manas and Balmiki Ramayana as sole source of uh, Ram Katha or uh, birth of Ram. So, and you came up with many evidences that this is the sole source. And she tried to come up with many other evidences that no, this is not real Ram. And there were historians who tried to establish Ayodhya somewhere in Egypt, ma'am. So, or Afghanistan. Where, or Afghanistan. So, where from where this sense of history, this Itihas both is coming in our so-called imminent historians? No, no, no. They have a sense of history. Their objective is how to falsify history. Because there are two fundamental motives of theirs. If you look at all their writings, the first is to go on harping that India was a land of invaders. There was no original population. So if the Aryans were invaders. So what if more invaders came? Their attempt is to first plug this theory of Aryan invasion, which has been challenged and it has been proved to be faulty, but the damage that that theory has done is something that we still have to evaluate. Now, when everybody, according to them, is an invader, then Islam is only one in those series. The second important aspect of all their writing is to deny the harshness of the Islamic advent into the subcontinent. And that harshness was felt firstly in the cultural assault on India. It is not an accident that there is no temple, virtually no temple in the entire North India that is built before the 18th century. The cultural landscape was flattened. This is the enormity of what was done to this culture and civilization is something that is so painful that even now we do not have the courage to come to grips with it. That is why I regard Ayodhya as a very important healing movement because that wound 
that has gone deeper and deeper into the hindu psyche at least it has got balm some time to heal so the attempt of this group of historians is to underplay the severity of the assault on india it they have a very good sense of history it's not that they don't know history their objective is to fudge the history to deny the most painful aspects of that history india is not the only country that was invaded or attacked but i can't think of any other country where the people of this country the intellectuals of this country the historians of this country are trying to say that this did not happen yes ma'am if you we take a contrasting picture and you also mentioned hans barker's work uh, yes. so if you want to throw some light yes. on his work on ayodhya yeah i want to uh, mention hans becker and peter vanderveer see uh, hans becker's book was the last important uh, work on ayodhya it's a magnificent work it was published a few years before the controversy broke out i think hans becker's book was published in 1986 and in 1989 was the first pamphlet written by left historians that is uh, you know uh analysis by jnu 25 scholars of jnu romila thapar etc so there was a gap now in this book hans becker has clearly said that the masjid was built on the site of the janam sthan and he has written over there that pillars from the mandir have been used in the construction of the masjid and he has also mentioned that two pillars were placed near the grave of a muslim divine a muslim religious leader who is supposed to have told babur that you must destroy the temple so this is what he wrote in 1969 1986 and there is another historian who has written on ayodhya peter vanderveer is the title of his book is gods on earth the surprising thing is that after the controversy broke out when their publications are on record then they seem to have backtracked on this issue which i found disappointing yes ma'am uh, so ma'am uh, means because we are running short of time so means my last question is that what what do you find unique in this ram temple movement and uh, anything that stand out in your mind this is my last question to you yeah it's what stands out in my mind is that from the time of the destruction of the temple in 1528 till 2010 the commitment and dedication of so many millions to that site to that god is something for us to learn cherish and something to inspire us in a large part of this period political power was not in the hands of ram bhats and the state was very oppressive but in spite of having no political power no economic clout the believers in lord ram did not give up the struggle 
in spite of all the difficulties and hardships according to eyewitness accounts lakhs of people used to go there on ram navmi and do parikrama of that place so this is something that one can be down but you don't have to be out and the faith of millions is what really should inspire us yes ma'am so uh, thank you very much ma'am for patiently answering all the questions from our side and uh, definitely a, a whole bunch of young scholars interested in indic tradition uh, will definitely get inspired from your writings not just from ayodhya other writings which we uh, we discussed in the earlier time and uh, and let me quote konrad elst what exactly he said about these two books on ayodhya that those who now fails to refer it means these two books is is not to be taken seriously means as far as writings and scholarly work on ayodhya are concerned and lastly i would like to say ma'am that ram has always been in the collective memory of common indians but your scholarly work given a theoretical and scholarly foundation to understand this issue thank you very much ma'am thank, thank you, you so much swadesh for your generous comments thank you so thank much you, Thank you, uh, Dr. Sadesh, uh, for this uh, quick, short uh, session in which you captured some of the most important questions that could be asked of uh, Professor Meenakshi. We've already had uh, uh, a three-hour session uh, uh, last week, uh, no, but still, the questions you asked were not repetitive, and you know, uh, got some of her views which were very important. And I do hope. I mean, the the word civilizational trauma. is being uh, you know increasingly used uh, you know uh, in at least social media if not in the mainstream uh, but i hope uh, professor meenakshi uh, jain's uh, research inspires a lot of indians in exploring you know this angle